If you would, open up God's Word uh, today. We're going to go right to where most of the Christmas story is found. Uh, So if you open up to the book of Luke in chapter 2, that's where we'll be reading from here in just a moment. Uh, where we've been going through this series looking at different characters of Christmas. And last week we looked at the innkeeper, which really isn't part of scripture at all. He's just part of all of our, our Christmas pageants and plays. And uh, we're going to see him again here in just a moment. And, but today we're looking at the uh, shepherds. <clears throat> when I was in in college, I took a journalism class as uh, part of the classes that were required for me. And I learned in that class uh, that corporations and the government will use the habits of us as the public and also the media so that they can control the news in their favor. <clears throat> for example, the White House will use the media to either generate excitement for a story they want to be covered, or they will use the media to actually hide a story that they want to just disappear. So <clears throat> if the government has a story they, they don't want much coverage on, uh, maybe it's detrimental to them, uh, to the party that's in charge, maybe it's embarrassing, or they just don't want people to talk about it much, they'll leak that story to the media on a Friday afternoon. And they call it the Friday dump day. And they'll include that story with a whole bunch of other stories on Friday afternoon. And they hope that their embarrassing story gets lost because they know the, the practice of us, the public, that really none of us follow the news on Saturday. And so it can just die, right? So if a news story is broken on a Friday, usually by Monday, nobody cares about that story. If they want to generate buzz about something, maybe it's a bill that they want national coverage for, or, or maybe it's a story that will make their opponent look bad, uh, they will leak that story on a Sunday evening or Monday morning. Because they know then that there's going to be four solid days of maximum news coverage for that story. We know how to generate excitement for the things that are most important to us. How many of you uh, have received a save the date postcard in the mail? See, we know how to generate excitement for something. We send that out long before even the wedding invitation is sent out. Or maybe we can put something on social media and we can ask our friends and our family to share the news. And then all of their friends and family will see what we want them to see. Uh, Which, by the way, feel free to share any PFN post you ever want to. Just to help get the word out for PFN, it really does, does help. So it's not just the government. You and I also know how to control information that's exciting for us or that's important. Yet the biggest news of the world happened on a lowly night in an otherwise normal day in the middle of nowhere, and very few people even knew about it. There was no media coverage. There was no fanfare. There was no breaking news story that that swept today's show and Good Morning America. Nobody was talking about this. The birth of Jesus came after 400 years of this supposed silence from the Lord. 
It had been 400 years since the people of God had heard a single word from the Lord through, through a, a prophet or any other means. The time between the, the last prophet of the Old Testament and the birth of our Savior in the New Testament was 400 years of nothing. But this doesn't mean that nothing was happening during that time. During that time, during that 400-year span, there was a whole lot that was happening around the world, and the world was changing, was rapidly changing. little history class, maybe you've heard of Alexander the Great. He was uh, uh, from Greece, and he was conquering most of the known world at the time. And the Greek language and the Greek culture was now being spread from Greece and Egypt all the way east to modern-day India. Everything was changing. It was during this time, <clears throat> excuse me, that the Hebrew Bible was first translated into a different language, that language being Greek. And about 160 years before Jesus was born, the, the Greek empire started to fall to the Roman empire. And the last of the Greek empire fell to the Romans only about 30 years before Jesus was born. But it was also during this period that this uh, Greco-Roman culture was being forced upon all of the people in Israel. The Jews in Israel had this culture being forced upon them. And they saw it as this attempt to wipe them out, to wipe out the, the Jewish culture. Even the new Roman ruler, whose name was Octavian, who also went by the name Caesar Augustus, was trying to force the population to worship him as the new God. And any Jews that opposed this were, were persecuted. And all of this was starting to give way to a new type of religious thinking in Judaism. And they thought that the only way that they were ever going to escape this uh, castor, uh, can't even get that word out of my mouth, sorry, to escape all of these circumstances of this period was to have a direct divine intervention by God himself. God was going to have to show up and God was going to have to change a few things here. God was going to have to show up and rescue his people, the Jews, once again. God is going to have to send someone. They expected God is going to have to send this Messiah, the one who will save humanity from a world that has gone bad. And, and so the expectation of many of the Jews at the time was that God is going to send a warrior-like king who, who would finally establish this era of peace and kick the Romans out, go back to the Greek way of life, reestablish the, or, or go back to the Jewish way of life, reestablish the Jewish culture. Yet when the Savior, when the Messiah of the world was born, God seemed to, to purposely avoid all of the pomp and circumstances that the, his people, the Jewish people, were expecting. See, God's people expected this conquering king to arrive on the scene, but instead, God sent his son as a baby, lying in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And even the announcement 
of, of this birth came to a, a group of men who are out in the country, seemingly all alone, shepherds watching over their flocks. They were the first ones to hear about the Messiah, the, that the Savior of the world was born. And so let's read this story in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8 today. Luke 2, verse 8. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so it was. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made wildly known that <clears throat> the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which are told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. When Jesus was born, Caesar should have been there to pay tribute to the new king. He wasn't. Uh, the Jewish king, King Herod, should have been there to worship the baby Jesus. He wasn't. The Israelite people should have gathered around to, to welcome their new Messiah, their Savior. They weren't. The nation should have bowed down to Jesus as the new ruler of the world. But they didn't. It's almost, it's almost like God is telling us in advance that often the things that are most important in heaven are not going to see, be seen as important on earth. I think God knew that even if Jesus were born in a palace, the people of the world would have rejected him. They would have seen something was not right, something was wrong. So instead of establishing this press tour for the baby Jesus, God uses the exact opposite approach. He didn't send Jesus to the king. He didn't send Jesus to the emperor for them to announce the birth. That would have gotten the most press coverage. No, he sent the angel, Gabriel, to, to a field outside of Bethlehem and chose as the first spokesman, the first people to spread the news, this group of sweaty and dirty shepherds. Now, traditionally, we've, uh, we've looked at these shepherds a certain way. Here in the church, we, we've kind of traditionally viewed these uh, shepherds as loners. 
as the ones that were out there in the country that nobody really wanted to be around. They were seen as a bunch of, of losers. They were seen as outsiders. They were looked down upon. They were resented. These shepherds were made fun of. They were despised by the rest of the community. Their reputation, these shepherds were so bad that they weren't permitted to even give testimony in court because they were seen as very untrustworthy. I even read this from a scholar this week who said, it seems like Jesus left the wonder and the glory of heaven to dumpster dive in our cesspool of sin by picking out the worst people possible to reveal his son to. Now, I understand what this author meant. He, he's saying that the kingdom of God isn't just for the insiders. The kingdom of God is for the outsiders, just like those shepherds, just like uh, the poor people like Joseph and Mary were. And all that's true, but there's something we're missing in this part of the story. There's something we're missing in this traditional description of the shepherds. Because we don't portray the shepherds like this today, do we? In a moment, when you see Declan and Brandon and Cooper in the next service, you're not going to think of them as lowly, sweaty, dirty shepherds. I hope you don't. <laughs> right? That's not how we think of the shepherds. Shepherding actually wasn't even portrayed that way in the Bible either. Many prominent people in the Bible were shepherds at one point when God called them into his service. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, King David, all of them were shepherds at some point. Jesus himself is going to be called our good shepherd. So being a shepherd really wasn't a, a bad thing. Being a shepherd was a, a good thing. There's a clue <clears throat> to these particular uh, characters of Christmas that I think we're, we're, we're missing here. I want you to look at that verse eight again. Our text says this about these shepherds. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now according to to Jewish literature from the time, the, the keeping of the flocks, the keeping of, of these sheep was forbidden in the land of Israel unless you were far, far away in the wilderness. Sheep herding was supposed to be done far, far away from the city. It's supposed to be done out in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, certainly never close to town. If there were sheep that were being kept closer to the city, maybe in a field closer to the temple of Jerusalem, those sheep would have been different. Those sheep wouldn't have been used for wool and, and meat. Those sheep would have been set apart. Those sheep would have been bred for a different purpose. Those sheep would have been used for temple sacrifices. Jerusalem is only about five miles away from Bethlehem. And the surrounding fields there were not out in the wilderness. So in the wilderness is where the ordinary flocks and the ordinary shepherds were watching over their flocks. Therefore, according to 
the Jewish regulations, the, the flocks under the care of these shepherds, the, the flocks next to Bethlehem, these sheep were destined for service in the temple. These sheep would have been used in the temple in Jerusalem, which also means that these shepherds weren't ordinary shepherds. They were most likely temple workers. And Again, according to to Jewish literature, the only people allowed to take care of temple business, including those that had to take care of the sheep that were going to be used as sacrifice, were temple priests. So these shepherds, therefore, most likely were not the lowlifes out in the middle of the country. They were most likely temple priests given the most important job of making sure that these sheep are without blemish, that these sheep are perfect for a sacrifice inside the temple. I'm not saying that these still weren't dirty and sweaty guys. Their job was hard. What they had to do was, was difficult. But these were not shepherds out in the wilderness. These were not the outcasts that we've labeled them to be. These were most likely priests fulfilling a very important job for the temple of God. So you may say, well, why does that matter, Pastor Brian? Why does that matter? I mean, what is wrong with us repeating this message that God chose to go to the shepherds first because he was conveying his heart to to mankind that he wanted uh, to reach the have-nots of society long before he appeared to any of the authorities? Because God really, doesn't God come to the marginalized? Doesn't God come to those that are disregarded by society? Isn't that who he is concerned with? And yes, that's true. Nothing is wrong with any of that. History is made, or God has a history of using those that have been overlooked and ignored and omitted from society to, to tell his story and to spread the kingdom. But if these were not ordinary shepherds, it matters because once again, God is using his story to point towards his son. And in this case, God is saying that this newborn baby is the new sacrificial lamb. So I want you to think about it then. What what would these temple priests, these temple shepherds have thought when they heard that angel come to them and say, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. See, the message of the angel that night told those temple shepherds that the time for the animal sacrifices is soon going to end. The offering of Jesus Christ, the Savior, is going to take place. So it's no wonder that those shepherds returning, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. So let's step, step back just a, a moment here. I think to fully understand the importance of Jesus as our sacrificial lamb, we need to go back in time a little bit to the Old Testament times. Every year during Passover, which is one of the main Jewish holidays, 
It was celebrating that time way back in, in Egypt when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Every year at Passover, a perfect, unblemished lamb was sacrificed in the temple. Why? Because about 1,500 years before, back in Egypt, the Israelites were told to sacrifice a lamb and apply its, its blood on the doorposts of their homes. And if they did that, they would be saved from death. And every year since, the Israelites would celebrate that because if the lamb was sacrificed, it meant their lives were going to be spared. And so the slaying of the Passover lamb and the application of the blood to the doorposts to their houses, it's a beautiful picture. If we could look way in, in the future, it's a beautiful picture of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Those for whom he died are covered by his blood now, thus protecting us from a spiritual death. Beyond, though, once a year during Passover, in fact, every single day, in the morning and in the evening, a lamb was sacrificed so that lamb could pay the penalty for the people's sin. The penalty for the sins of the people was, was placed on that sacrificial lamb instead. Now, I get it. We... We don't quite understand this process here uh, a whole lot. It's kind of foreign to us today to, to sacrifice a lamb for, for our sins. But we understand the concept, though, of payment or restitution for sin. We still get that. We know, the Bible tells us, that the wages of sin is death. And that our sin is what separates us from a holy God. We also know that the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners and that there is none of us righteous before God on our own. So because of our sins, we are separated from God. And because of our sins, we stand guilty before God. Therefore, there's only, the only hope we have, the only hope we have is if God himself provides a way for us to be reconciled to him. And that's what he did by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. Christ died to make atonement for sin and to pay the price of the penalty for the sins of all who call him Lord and believe in him. So let's get back to the shepherds here. Imagine you're one of these guys. You're part of this sacrificial system. It's your job to provide and to prepare these lambs for this ritual sacrifice. And you would have been educated. You would have known the, the Old Testament prophets. You would have known that Jeremiah and Isaiah, both of them foretold the coming of the Savior, the Christ, who is, would be brought like a lamb led to the slaughter and whose sufferings and sacrifice is going to pay for the redemption of all of Israel. You would have known that. They would have known that when the Messiah showed up, when, when Christ was born, the old sacrificial system is not going to be needed. The Savior 
The Savior will be the rescuer. The Savior will be the new Passover lamb. And so let's return to our story. Let's look at this in a, in a new way. Again, verse 15, it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that this shepherd said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. In other words, let's go see this lamb for ourselves. Verse 16. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, listen to this, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Which is what? What was told to them? The angel said, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled at the things which, they, which were told them by the shepherds. Scripture doesn't say that they were amazed that it was shepherds that brought them the news. They were amazed at the news that the shepherds brought them. The Messiah has been born. Basically what they're saying is there is now a new covenant. God is providing this new covenant for us. I don't know if the people fully understood what this meant for them. Maybe, I hope that these shepherds did. I hope that they understood this. I hope that we understand it today because it's through the death on the cross of God's perfect sacrifice for sin and his resurrection that you and I who call upon God as our savior and our Lord can have eternal life if we believe in him. See, the fact that God himself has provided the offering that atones for our sin, that's part of the, the glorious good news of the gospel that is supposed to bring great joy to all of the people. That is the good news that God himself has already provided for us the sacrifice that is needed. Peter will talk about this later on in, in his book that he writes. Peter says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. See, the good news came to the shepherds many, many, many years ago in a very simple message. Accept the sacrifice already made for you by the Lamb of God. Let's not, though, forget verse 19. The good news of great joy was welcomed by the shepherds and it was marveled by all those who heard the shepherds proclaim it. 
But think about Mary. In the excitement of the shepherds, she ponders that her baby is the sacrificial lamb. Verse 19 says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that's who we'll look, about, look at next week, Joseph and Mary. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good news. We thank you, Lord, that this good news is that you have already provided for us the sacrifice that is needed, the penalty, the, uh, the payment, the ransom for our sins, Lord. For there is not one of us in this room, there is not one of us that is listening online this morning that has, ex- has escaped the wages of sin, which is death. None of us. There's not one of us that stands before you righteous on our own accord. But you sent your son without all the fanfare, without all the the way that we would think that the savior of the world would be announced to the world, but you announced them to a few who understood who you really were. Lord, thank you for the ability. We're born 2,000 years on this side of Christmas, 2,000 some years on this side of the cross. We have your word and we, we have it revealed to us. Lord, to help us to accept the gift of your son, to realize that your son is that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice. Your son is the good news which will bring great joy to all the people. But that gift did not come without a price. That gift is available to us because you paid that price. Lord, thank you for loving us enough that you sent your son to be born and then to die on our behalf. Lord, this Christmas, may we remember what it's really all about. It's fun to have the lights and the hustle and the bustle and even the, the good heart feeling of Christmas. But let's not miss you in the process. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for being born. We thank you for your gift. But we thank you most of all for being our sacrificial lamb. You are the savior. You are the Christ. You are our Lord. And we love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.